Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. It's hard to believe it, but this is the 35th episode of Other People's Pockets, which actually means it's the end of our first season. We thought it would be fun to use this episode as a look back, a chance to get an update from some of the guests we've had on and see how they're thinking about money differently. And for some of them, how their financial situation has changed since we last heard from them. This is not a goodbye, don't worry. But I did just want to take this moment to say thank you to everyone who has listened, everyone who has written to me with your stories about how the show has helped you ask for a raise, and to my team who works with me on the show, Dan Gallucci, Joy Sanford, Angela Vang, and everyone else at Little Everywhere and Pushkin. This has been so much fun. First, I spoke to Cord Jefferson, a writer and producer in Hollywood who we featured early in the season. Cord is someone I'm very inspired by and envious of. He was a journalist and blogger who found his way into this new amazing career in Hollywood and, by the way, had to put a lot of hard work and also experience a lot of luck in getting there. He's won an Emmy and he got an eight-figure deal with Warner Brothers to write for them. But when we caught up again in August, he was in the middle of the Hollywood writer's strike, which meant he was not working and not getting paid and that eight figures he thought was coming in was maybe never going to come in. Luckily, the writer's strike ended in September. Either way, Cord probably would have been fine financially in terms of the money he has in the bank, but he admitted he had gotten on a high horse about his financial outlook and he had all these big plans. And I think it goes to show that even after all the handshakes are done, there are these bigger forces outside your control that can delay or cancel your contract with work. So I really appreciate Cord for coming back on the show to talk to me about what he was going through. You and I actually spoke for the podcast back in October 2021, I think. That's when we recorded Wow. And yeah, (laughs) so a lot has changed. I mean, at that time, you were talking about how you had an eight-figure deal with Warner Brothers to write for them. Mm -hmm. And now, obviously, the Writers Guild of America, which you are in, is on strike, uh, has been since May. Yeah. So tell me, um, what's going on with you financially so the, so the real concern for people like me in overall deals of strikes is that they are going to force majeure you, which means that there's a clause in every overall contract that says that if you f- fail to render services, then they can um, force majeure you out of the deal mm. and say like, okay, this is over. So, Like your whole, that your whole contract's over. Yeah, yeah. So we're just getting rid of it. And there was talk that, you know, that they were, the studios were going to hold out for a long time because they wanted to clear the books and get rid of a lot of these overall deals. Uh, fortunately for me, that has not happened. I have no idea if that's going to happen. We are, you know, at day 100 and I think six or seven of the strike. So 
Um, you know, I don't know how long it's going to last. And so there's a possibility that I'll be force majeured between now and then. But um, so far, it hasn't happened. So I feel very grateful for that. That being said, though, I haven't been paid since the beginning of the strike. I have, uh, they, they've suspended my deal. And I haven't had a paycheck for about more than three months at this point. So mm-hmm. fortunately, I had, a, I had money in the bank and saved. So I, I'm not in danger of losing my house or anything right now. But um, yeah, it's, I, ha- I haven't been paid for, for quite some time. And you mentioned around the time that we talked that you you bought a home or you were about to buy a home in LA. Yeah, I think that I think um, the last time we spoke, I'd put it, I just put in an offer on the house, but I didn't actually, it hadn't been closed or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so now you own a home and I think you also mentioned your, your dream was to maybe buy a house for your dad in France as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering how you're currently thinking now about your own housing or other housing that you could afford? <laughs> like, yeah. has your has your thinking changed on kind of what's possible? I think that that all depends. I think that, you know, the, the last time we spoke, uh, I sort of had just recently come into this money. And I think at the time we spoke, I said, you know, th- that if, if things go well, and I sort of like play my cards right, then there's a world in which, you know, I never have to work ever again. And, you know, the... the Two years later, reality has smacked me in the face and said, "Like, well, you did, you know, you can't, you can't count your chickens before they hatch." And so, you know, all of a sudden, again, like I'm not in like dire financial circumstances right now, but like I said, there's a chance that I get a call from Warner Brothers tomorrow and they say we're force majeuring you and and you no longer have this deal and all this money that you thought was coming in is gone. And so, mm-hmm. I need to reassess uh, my entire future based on based on that phone call and whether that's going to come or not. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I still have those dreams. I still have dreams of of buying a home in Europe somewhere. I, that's still certainly something that I want to do and and plan on doing eventually. But you know, I think that sort of like the important lesson in all of this is that like you know that, that even when things seem like a certainty, that uh, that it's just you know one sort of like one thing can happen that that derails your entire life and so that, and so that is the, mm-hmm. right now the strike the strike has the strike has derailed my plans in a very real way and so you know mm-hmm. whether or not things are the same on the other side of it I, I don't know but for now i've started thinking about my spending again and i it's something that i haven't done in years you know i start i've started you know not eating out as much as i used to i've started sort of like not buying clothes the way that I used to. There's just, there's just all of a sudden a, um, I've sort of been forced to, you know, go back to thinking about money. And I thought that foolishly almost that I thought that those days were behind me. And now it's those those days Mm -hmm. are no longer behind me. It's kind of like, okay, I need to, I need to actually consider this. And, and it's a, uh, yeah, it's like a little burst, burst my bubble a little bit, this fantasy land that I was living in. But I think that's good. I I sort of, I think that one of the dangers of but it's through no fault of your own. Like these are forces outside your control too. Yeah, but I think that. But I, but also, you know, God forbid I get cancer tomorrow, and then that's a, that's through no fault of my own either, right? Like I just I just think that like these kinds of yeah. these kinds of occurrences, so many people who end up bankrupt in this country, it's not because like they did something that that is their sure. fault that they sort of like made bad yeah. decisions and they they sort of screwed themselves. It's just like you know, one sort of like car accident or injury or house fire and then all of a sudden you know you thought that you were sitting pretty and it's no longer the reality and I just think that one of the dangers of coming into a lot of money is that you just lose you lose sight of reality and when you're on strike and you're not out picketing, um, you know, you obviously can't do writing work, but can you do other kinds of work? Like, can you try to make money for yourself in other ways? Yeah, but so I've done, I've written a couple articles, for instance, I've written a couple essays, like, you know, I have a friend at Eater who, who reached out to me and asked me to write an essay for Eater. So I've done that stuff here and there and, and picked up some, you know, minor things. The, the, the problem is, is that these aren't sort of like, Paydays that can cover my mortgage, I'll say. So it's so it's yeah. like yeah, I'm bringing yeah. in I'm bringing in some money, but the you know, uh, 
the sort of like main bill that I'm concerned about, which is my mortgage, is not being covered by these kind mm-hmm. of like gig jobs that I mm-hmm. pick up here and there. It's mostly, you know, that's I'm relying mm-hmm. on my savings to pay for that. Yeah. yeah. Can you say how much your mortgage payment is? Uh, I'm going to embarrassingly tell you that I do not know. <laughs> my, my, uh, I have <laughs> How no do you idea. not know? <laughs> I have no idea what it is. Uh, like, because, because I'm, because like I said, like I live in a bubble. I, I think that my, um, I have a Cause you have like a, a money manager. I have a business manager. Okay. Yeah. Who just, okay. who handles all of my bills and, and pays and handles all of my finances and just pays everything. And, so I will tell you that I actually have no idea what my monthly mortgage is. I, I can tell you, though, that I'm not like totally asleep at the wheel. But because at the, at the start of the strike, I called my business manager and I said, hey, am I OK here? Like, do I need to be concerned about this? Is there like is that should we should I do I need to like think about selling my house? Do I need to think about, you know, sort of liquidating stocks or whatever? And he we had a long conversation and he sort of like put me at ease and said like, you're fine. He said, you're, you know, the, the, at least as far as your mortgage, like you're totally okay. You don't, he's, you know, I, I, I got my, you know, I remember sort of like the time that I bought my house when we last spoke, the interest rate, interest rates were very low. So we got sort of like locked into a very, very low interest rate, which is good. My mortgage, he said like, you, you'll have no problem paying your mortgage for, for a while. So do you know how much you have in savings that you're drawing down? And like how long it will last you? I have uh, seven figures in savings. So that, that it is not a, um, I can't imagine that I'm going to go through that by the time we get back to work. And so, um, like I said, I'm very, very fortunate in all this, that it, it, is, it is not, um, you know, it is highly unlikely that by the end of the strike, I will need to uh, mm-hmm. sell my house or sort of like, liquidate any of my assets or anything like that is that is probably not going to be the case yeah Mm -hmm. um can you say how much you bought your house for yeah i mean you can google it but 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 so that that's public information it's well i I don't know know what your address is yeah it's all public information and you can you can just google it but um yeah i i spent i paid three and a half million dollars for my home okay um I was wondering, um, you know, there's this kind of conventional wisdom out there that everybody should have at least three to six months worth of their expenses in emergency savings. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts about what is the conventional wisdom for people in Hollywood now? Like what if you had a friend just having a personal finance conversation with you, what would you say? Would you say like try to have a year saved Yes, but but that's always even before I started working in Hollywood, I always was good about socking away money. If I got furniture, I got it, found it free. I did check the free section on Craigslist or bought it for very cheaply from IKEA, so that when I moved out of a an apartment or whatever, I didn't really care about it and I just gave it away or left it on the curb or anything. Like there was there was no real, I didn't really invest in anything. I didn't really have anything, and so. I, that allowed me to save up money pretty easily. And so, so the, you know, it allowed me an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to try to write for TV. You know, I think at that time I had about, I want to say maybe like 50 grand saved up and that $50,000 allowed me, allowed me the freedom to pursue this dream and to pursue this, this new chapter. And I just think that that to me is ultimately what Yes, money can buy you a lot of nice things and you can buy you nice houses and nice furniture and all this stuff. And that's great. But more than anything, the benefit of having money to me is just saying, like, I don't have to do this if I don't want to do this. And like, if, if I'm mm-hmm. working a job that I hate for a boss that I hate who treats me terribly, then I can say, like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm leaving this behind mm-hmm. and I don't I don't want to deal with yeah. this anymore. And I think that there is or, or you can say, like, you know what, I have a dream to. I have a dream to write a, a, a Broadway play and sort of and, and, and the job that I have currently doesn't allow me the time to do that. So I would say, yeah, TV writers, of course, save, save up as much money as possible. But I also think that, that applies to everybody.
Next, we're going to hear from Carmen Gonzalez, who was undocumented and navigating the young journalist's life when we last spoke to her. Carmen had a bit of a YOLO vibe to how she spent money in the past, and I'm not sure people still say YOLO, but it was like, you know, I got paid, so let's go buy some stuff. And now she's experiencing a really big and positive life change that has her thinking about money and building credit in a more long-term way. I always love to hear Carmen's thoughts on how she's processing things, and particularly today, how she's thinking about all that through the lens of money. So when we talked, you were making 900 a month, I think, living with parents, working as a CalMatters fellow. What's your update, if any? What? Where are you now and what's going on? Yeah, when we last spoke, I was an undocumented student journalist figuring life out. Still a student, still a journalist, but now... I have my citizenship. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I think it's the biggest update. I ended my fellowship with CalMatters, but because of my citizenship, I was actually able to get hired at the organization I kind of fell in love with um, journalism through. So, what, Which one is that? Well, Heights Beat. Nice. <laughs> it's a part-time because I'm still a full-time student. Um, I do their community engagement. So being a liaison for, for the community members and I also do some slight reporting for them. And I basically doubled my income since then because now I'm on payroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get paid biweekly. Mm-hmm. And it actually has been, I don't know, it's been it's been interesting kind of now navigating the worlds in that way with, with citizenship and, and, and money. Yeah, I mean, what, what are some of the changes that have happened since becoming a citizen, money-wise? The way I I thought before citizenship was like, it was almost like my life was on hold. So I didn't build credit. I wasn't trying to get loans anywhere. Like, very much, if I got free money, that was the best thing ever. I didn't feel any type of pressure because there was no way to make money continuously and sustainable. Mm -hmm. And the moment I got my citizenship, I was like, it was super easy, by the way. Like the ceremony was like me waiting in a line and then they just gave me my papers and then I left. The moment I got that little paper, I was like, okay, now I need to like build credit, figure out how that works. And like felt like this immense pressure of also finding a job and like helping out more in the house. And I think if I gained citizenship, but also like this huge anxiety of like, oh, now I have to make it. Yeah. Now it's like for reals. Nothing's on hold anymore. Like Right. So did you go out and sign up for a credit card? Yeah. Um, I I got well, I signed up for one credit card and then I got denied because I, I don't have any credit history. Then I was like browsing on the internet and honestly, like I don't know if it's just me being me or like but I was asking everyone like for financial advice. Every single person. And, and I was getting nosy. I was like, but wait, like, how, like, how did you apply? How, but how much do you pay? How much is a reasonable, like, credit limit? Mm-hmm. I did a lot of TikTok research mm-hmm. and eventually landed on, like, a college student credit card, like, online banking. And that's the one I've been using. And, and um, you know, I've learned how to, like, like, the tips and tricks from TikTok is, like, pay off the whole balance uh, at the end of your like cycle or whatever. I don't know. I've been just doing what TikTok told me and it seems like it's going okay. What's the credit limit you can get when you have no credit and you're signing up for your first credit card? I honestly, so it asks you like to, to put like how much you make or whatever a year. And I'm like, girl, I've been earning for two months. Like I have not been earning enough for a year, but I kind of estimated. So my credit limit currently is um a thousand five hundred, um which I think is is a good starting yeah limit. Did I in the first month almost spend it all? Yes, but it has forced me to be like a little more responsible and, and somewhat with my money in the sense of like, you know, I don't want to have a really bad credit score. So I did end up like whatever I spent, I was like, 
damn, my whole paycheck is going to go to pay it off because, like, I don't want that to look to, like, affect me in the future. I took on a bill from the house. I pay now the Wi-Fi bill. And then I pay my phone bill also. So I feel like taking on more responsibility has helped me also kind of, like, slow down on, on my spending and on also on the how I view money overall. When I asked you how you feel about financial transparency, you said the word icky. How do you feel now? I, I, I think it has completely changed. I feel like I need to ask every single person in my life how they manage their finances because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm wishing for a lot more transparency from everyone. It, it has come up also in my reporting you know, the yearly income, at what stage you have to be at to be able to be in affordable housing. I'm like, oh, more of us have to share what we make because the minimum is still too high for people who are below the poverty line, Mm -hmm. especially in in my community. And then my own experience of like, I need help. Like, I'm going to tell you my situation because I don't like I need advice. Like, what do I do? I've kind of learned to like be a little more comfortable with conversations of money. I also like, I think the icky came from a part of like shame because I wasn't able to contribute. And like my first job wasn't really a first job because you know I wasn't technically on payroll mm-hmm. or it was an internship or, you know, it was a weird stipend type of job. Mm-hmm. But now, now I'm a citizen. Now I'm like, everyone tell me what you make. This is how much I make. Is this enough? How much should I be charging? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I pay this off? I just like, you know, spent this much. How do I make it back? Like, I'm, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I, I use the word liberated, but I don't know if that truly is because still tied to capitalism, you know, so. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Now we're going to check in again with Laura Lister-Mensch, the death doula. This was an episode we got a lot of positive feedback on, I think because people really connected with Laura talking about how women's work can often occur in the margins. She was still a bit cagey about her money, particularly her net worth. And just so people know, we decide to keep interviews that we think are interesting, even if we don't get absolutely all the money details. I think the way people answer the question is revealing in and of itself. And at the end of the day, these are real conversations and not everyone is a completely open book. But what I thought was really cool was that Laura changed her mind about some things in terms of how open she wants to be with her money. And so it was great to check in with her, this time joined by her husband, Mark, and probe the two of them for a little bit more info. We have here again, Laura Listermensch, the death doula that I interviewed for Other People's Pockets. Hey. And this time, Laura, you're joined by your husband, Mark. Hey. So, Laura, you had emailed me, just listened, and it was amazing and weird and wonderful. I'm honored to have been your guest. I love what you're doing. Oh, and my husband and I listened together, and now he wishes I had been less cautious and cagey because he's been listening to your episodes and has had a real awakening on the transparency issue since the recording. Okay, so tell me more about that. Mark, when when do you say what it was like listening to it? Yeah, well, I was listening, and when you, and what I love about your podcast, you ask just right up front and baldly what everyone wants to know. Oh, how much do you make? How much did that cost? How much money do you have? And so I knew it was coming in this <laughs> podcast, right? Because that's the best moment. And then she hedged, and uh, I I think her reluctance was a an accommodation for me because. I don't like people to know anything about uh, my money. And I imagine, or I think, Laura, you mentioned that you were going to talk to your husband before you went on the show and get on the same page, right? And so that's interesting that, Mark, you listened and you're like, come on, Laura, just say what you make. Just say it. But but this is the biggest effect of your podcast, Maya. So the reason why he got radicalized on this topic was in those intervening weeks, before it was, he actually heard the interview, he had been listening to the podcast. And we had talked a lot about how it felt to talk about these things. And we had, I think we both evolved by listening to other people talk about this, by you being so, you know, direct in those questions, like Mark, Mark just described the questions. And I have to tell you, we didn't hear from many friends or family. It was pretty much crickets. Oh. Except for one, which was my mom, who said, I didn't like how she asked you those questions so directly. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) She she said, I just don't think, I don't think it's polite. Uh, Like, well, there is a whole podcast. (laughs) And then in the weeks in between, I think we learned a lot about how we felt about it because we listened to my episode together. And we thought about hearing other people hearing it. Do you want to share more about your finances? <laughs> well, we actually talked. It. So the the only thing that we didn't feel we could share was the money that we inherited from my parents, because and I think your net worth. That, yeah, that because that that involves telling you how much other people inherited mm-hmm. too. So it's A not it's like, or, yeah. I don't actually know our net worth. This is a game that she and I play where I just prefer to think I don't have any money and I live accordingly. (laughs) I just, when when I used to work, when I used to work, I didn't know. I see what you're saying. You want to just keep your spending in line. So just today he said, well, our net worth is probably, and he said, I I don't know what it is. And I said, do you want to know? Because I do all of the finances. Mm. And he said, no. Oh. It's, yeah. Yeah. I don't okay, really so care. Okay, so Laura, you know? Yeah. What is it? I can't. I can't. Wait, I'm confused. Mark, you said you wanted her to be less cagey. 
And now here we are. Yeah, well, family honor requires that she be fearless, right? Okay, so what if what if um, Laura tells us and you plug your ears? If that's okay with her, I'm fine with it. You know what? I'll go ahead and hear it. What is your net worth? Uh, Mark, is that something go I get ahead. to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. All right. Um, as of today, and the stock market's pretty ugly today, um, Two million three hundred and twenty-two thousand and eighty-nine dollars. Wow. Okay, so that's including your home and any retirement and stuff like that, minus any debt you have. Yeah. On the home. Okay. Yeah. Mark, thoughts? I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. That's just so much. You have to understand. When I met her, I was, I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt. Um, but I was obviously cute enough that she overlooked it and married me. So for the beginning, the first 10 years of our marriage, we were just paying off debt year after year. So I hear this and I just well, that can't last. That just doesn't seem to make any kind of sense. We've never argued about money, almost ever. Mm-hmm. And Mark almost never sees the money. Mm-hmm. Like he never deals like, with it. You know, money, hear no money, speak no money. I think it genuinely leaves him free to do what he had to do mm-hmm. in his work so that he could retire early. I mean, that mm-hmm. was our a decision we made. Our goal was not to be a burden to anyone, mm-hmm. to launch our children, and then to be free to do good works. And basically, I get to do good works all day now. Yeah, just to be clear, I have no interest in doing good works. No That's, works. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Except for my kids. I will spend money on the kids. But do you have interest in doing bad works? Tell me what they are and I'll tell you. It (laughs) sounds making the world a worse place. No, I I do not want to do that. Mark has one ambition at this time. May I say what it is? I'm not sure. What is it? He wants to be on the jury for Trump here in DC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's just random. Like, there's nothing you can do to achieve that, right? Well, I'm looking into that right now. Okay. I have, have 2.3 million to spend on the efforts. So <laughs> let's see what can be done. Next, we're going to hear from Ben Shuri, chef and owner of Attica Restaurant in Melbourne, Australia. He was someone who explicitly told me as it was happening that he was uncomfortable with the level of transparency he was giving me about his money. And one of the things that's been interesting for me hearing from listeners and thinking about this more is all the different ways money transparency manifests itself in different countries. I didn't realize that in Australia, salary transparency, according to Ben, is much more taboo than it is in the U.S. And for me, the food industry is super interesting to hear from because we all interact with it. Even if you're not going to fancy restaurants, surely you dine out somewhere on occasion and there's everyone from the owners to the people who interact with customers to the people who work in the kitchen. And it's such a mystery how much money people are making. And especially when it comes to really nice restaurants. What I loved about what Ben said is that at his restaurant, they're not necessarily raking in the dough. They might be losing money or even breaking even. And that's even at some of the top restaurants in the world. So it was great to check back in with him and hear how other people reacted to his interview. One of the things that I'm curious to know from you when I asked you about financial transparency is you said that you're happy to do it, but you're not really sure who it benefits and you're pretty sure it doesn't benefit you. I was wondering... After you did it, after you revealed how much money you make, et cetera, was it so bad? What did it feel like? Well, in, I'm a person that doesn't live with very many regrets. So I kind of, I guess I make a decision and then act on it. And the outcome, whether it be positive or negative, I'll take the lesson from it and move on as if it was the best thing that I ever did. So <laughs> even, even when it's clearly not, I mean, I'm not callous with no regrets, but I tend to just be pretty glass half full and definitely was a, a bit of a scary one to to agree to do that I still don't know if it's benefited me but 
I suppose in the last five years, I've sought to be increasingly honest, kind of about everything. And I, I just feel like it's a slightly better place to come from. People know where you stand, what your intentions are. And I suppose in some small way, your level of integrity. I actually, I actually have an email here that I was going to share with you. I meant to print it out, but um, okay, yeah, I, I'm just going to quickly have a look at that because this is well, this is one of the emails that I got from from a friend who's the CEO of a really successful Australian company, and he said that it was one of the most inspirational, humbling things that he'd ever heard, and I guess. His takeaway from that was your interview. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He just he just said that he thought it was incredibly brave, and that it was definitely something that he couldn't do. <laughs> it was kind of that um, was kind of the takeaway, and that's been a few people were like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you went there," but there's no way it, we could ever do that publicly reveal our income. So I think the the fear that I had was fairly natural. The probably only other really um, kind of amazing piece of feedback came from a young woman who I employ here, a chef, and she listened to it and stopped me in the hallway and said, hey, I listened to that that podcast about money. And I was really, really amazed to hear the, I think I talked about the labor cost here at the restaurant being about 50 or 51%. And she, she said, Oh, well, I never knew that. That puts so many things in perspective for me. I think it's like an unbelievably helpful thing for me to learn. She'd be 21 or 22. She's really amazing young chef. And she was like, thank you so much for saying that because it helps me understand my, my place in the business better. Uh, and also, hmm. also the challenges that I face as I move forward and want to start my own restaurant, I suppose. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. What did she mean about understanding her place in the restaurant? Well, just I guess that everything is so high cost. Right. You know, I, 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 perhaps an outsider's view of a successful, ambitious, world-renowned restaurant is that everything is rosy and peachy and maybe there's, been a, there's a lot of mm. money being made. And right. just for her to hear that one piece of detail that half of everything that comes in the door goes to the staff was refreshing, you know. Right. It just put things in perspective right. for her, you know, because I guess the, the standard right. would try, you, you know, you'd want to be at is about 33% labor cost and it, you know. Mm. Um, and so, Like the standard for any business or standard for well, restaurants? Well, standard for restaurants, but that, that's going back in a historical mm. context a little bit to what you'd be tr- you'd be taught at business school or trade school. Um, right. Maybe that's not really a relevant, right. like, maybe it's not potentially possible um, in Australia anyway. But, yeah, so that was like probably like the most positive thing uh, to come out of it. And then just other people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you went there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was wondering if there's anything you can say about the attitudes toward money in Australia. Like, is is this a conversation that happens regularly or does it feel like not even a conversation you'd have among friends or can you say anything about that? Yeah, you wouldn't have a conversation about it with anybody actually here more more broadly. Not even like, friends. Not even your parents, not friends. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a friend around how much they earned or how they're doing. Maybe occasionally somebody sort of dropped it, but very rare. Same in New Zealand as well. I think there's, you know, we suffer from, both nations suffer from tall poppy syndrome. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so tall poppy syndrome is like keep your head down as you become successful. It's sort of the opposite of the American mentality where success is really like celebrated and galvanized Mm -hmm. and seen as like the best thing you can do. Here, uh, success is viewed with suspicion. If successful people become too successful, and especially if they carry themselves with ego, then they're going to be chopped down by society and that's what we call Mm -hmm. tall poppy syndrome. So, you know, Mm So within that, there would be a fear of, for a successful person talking about the kind of income that they make, unless, of course, you know, they're running a public company and it's published, I suppose. That's a different mm-hmm. thing. But people with private businesses, 
tend not to ever talk about it. And even mm. people who are on salaries don't discuss that with other people, certainly not to me anyway. One of the reasons and motivations for talking about it is because I, I do want to demystify it in our industry a little bit. I want the dining public to understand it a little bit better. I, I realize that we haven't done a very good job as an industry about talking about the business of restaurants. We talk about the creativity. We talk about, you know, the suffering sometimes. We talk about the negative aspects of our industry. We talk about the joy of our industry, but we don't really talk about the business of our industry. And a lot of us aren't highly trained in that way anyway. And and But the, the problem with not kind of talking about it is that then consumers don't have any kind of way of knowing what value is in a restaurant. They don't understand right. that certain restaurants pay their staff better and certain restaurants use more ethical and sustainable greens. And of course, all these things cost more money, so they make less profits. And and those would be the restaurants where you, you should be dining. But unless restaurateurs and chefs and waiters and sommeliers talk about those things more freely, then things will stay the same. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Let's hear now an update from Khalid Qadir. Khalid talked to me about how as a Muslim, he cannot engage in interest, like paying interest when you take out a loan or in conventional insurance. All of it goes against his faith. He's an example of how sometimes a person who initially did not want to be interviewed can end up giving such good tape. After Khalid's episode aired, we got a tweet from someone just saying what they liked about the episode. 
quote, so provocative about values, money, decision-making, and faith. I'm a Christian, and I've already recommended this episode as a topic for Bible study in the fall, end quote. Khaled has very firm views on avoiding riba, which is avoiding interest, avoiding conventional insurance. And now in his life, he's coming face to face with some of the decisions he's made around that and whether they were worth it. There were lots of people just saying, I had no idea anything about Islamic finance and also just all of your viewpoints on the way that we should organize ourselves financially in order to be good people in the world. I think it just resonated with a lot of people. So that's it was awesome. great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So last we talked, you were living in an amazing sublet, uh, yep. a place that you that should go for, I don't know, I'm guessing $5,000 a month, and you're getting it for somewhere around $2,000 yep. a month. Yep. Um, you attributed that to your amazing rental karma, having foregone a, a purchase of a condo many years earlier that you you concluded that it would not be in line with your values. Your wife was pregnant. Where are you now with all of that? <sighs> Goodness. Uh, five weeks till baby shows up. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, actually, four weeks now. Oh, my gosh. And so that's going well. Everyone's healthy and happy, which is the most important thing. We're having some struggles with our landlord. Cameras and surveillance feels really weird when a landlord oh, wants that's, to. That's some serious. Super creepy. And there's some like legal questioning about where this does and doesn't land, uh, like what's allowed and what's not allowed. So I'm becoming like a, a amateur lawyer on Oakland rent rules. Yeah. So they're newly setting up surveillance cameras in yep. your apartment? Yeah. Uh, outside, technically, on the front porch, uh -huh. um, and not giving us any access, only they have access, which feels like, why are you listening to every conversation I have with my kids on my front porch? And some of them even can see in the house if the door is open. And it's just really weird. I don't know the reasoning. I want to be careful. I don't know the reason yeah. my landlord's doing this, but it does feel kind of weird and uncomfortable. So we've been thinking about moving for that reason. But rents are expensive, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been looking at places that are like thirty five hundred to four grand and farther away with the big commute and all of this. And it's sort of like we we're wondering if our time in the Bay Area is up, if that's mm. what's going on. On at one point I was really down about it. Like it wasn't long after our conversation. But then I realized like worst case scenario. I'll just rent an Airbnb for two months. And that's gonna throw a lot of money out the door. But Ultimately, it's just money. Like, if I keep remembering that, like, I'm blessed to be able to do that. Other people, worst case scenario, they're going to have that baby in their car. Like, that's what's going to happen. And we are not in that situation at all. That's what matters. So that perspective thing, you know, keeping that in mind, it makes me think about our conversation a lot. When I went back and listened to it, it's like, like, you chose this road. Like, now you get to walk it, you know? Like, As in, you were this close to owning something that you could theoretically still be living in, yep. no problems, own it outright, yep. and you decided not to buy it because it went against your principles. So yeah. should you have bought that condo? No, I shouldn't have. <laughs> no, I don't think I should have. But I, I definitely, it brought up that very human response of like, yeah, you know, I... I'd have a whole bunch more wealth and I'd be in a totally different situation like that that went through my head. And it took me a process to remind myself and remember that like, you know, there's a reason you do this and that like, it sounds funny, I don't think you can cheat the system. Like, I don't think if you're not meant to have that wealth, you're going to have it. Even if materially it looks like you would have made out this way, mm -hmm. I think that circumstances would have worked out otherwise. So I try to keep reminding myself of that. Mm -hmm. So, And I try to remind myself that like I've had a pretty blessed situation for a little while now. And even if it does not continue, I mm -hmm. still should have to be really grateful for that. So right. but it, it's work, right? It's, it's like, you know, personal spiritual work to keep remembering those things, right? So do you have any fellow Muslims who are like, dude, this is why you should have bought the condo? Like, does anyone rub that in your face? I uh, I should have this conversation with my dad. I'm curious what he'll say. <laughs> he might be like, yeah, you probably should have done that. But again, I, I, he respects the, the choice framework. Yeah. 
I think about one friend in particular who will listen to this. And I mean, immediately he offers up like money. If you need money, tell me, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't know how much money he has, but like Mm -hmm. the fact that I have friends who don't have money who are immediately offering up, Mm -hmm. it speaks to like, I feel very blessed to have those relationships in my life. And I think they're in part because because they they recognize the principles I'm trying to live by and they want to support someone trying to live mm-hmm. by their principles. And I think that's a, a thing that people who aren't doing that won't understand. Um, we talk about investments. People invest in different things. Some people really invest in relationships for this reason, that it's mm-hmm. that's where the true wealth is, is all these yeah. people who will totally be there for you and you will be there for them. So yeah. I'm curious um, if you can talk more about what those conversations are like and what it feels like to maybe have to ask for help. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have a I don't have a Google sheet going or anything like that, like about like here are the steps should this suddenly happen. I more have been having, you know, conversations with a few friends who so they're not caught sideways if something happens and mm-hmm. be like, okay, it's happening tomorrow. Let's go. You know, can you grab the U-Haul, meet me in my place? Let's just move. Here's the plan. Mm-hmm. But I have like those conversations I'm having with friends who are super supportive. They all understand. It's led to that conversation about maybe the Bay has a time limit, mm-hmm. which, which might mean saying goodbye to those friends. You know, that process doesn't feel good. You know, knowing that that's the conversation, like I'm going to mm-hmm. break up with you because I'm going to move. Like that feels a little, a little tough. But they understand. Mm-hmm. They're supportive. But it's difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, you you texted me after your episode ran and I said, you know, all these people are saying your episode was the best. Um, you said that you were talking to a couple of friends in your community and some in the world of Islamic finance. Can you share more? It's only recently that Muslims in America have some more front-facing media outlets, shows like Rami and uh, what's the other show about the, the Palestinian guy? I haven't even watched it, but I've heard about no? it. No. Mo, yeah. Things like that are starting to be more popular, but there's not a lot of like, you know, public discourse around these kinds of things. And so seeing this show up there was like, there's probably some degree of like validation. And there's also a feeling of it's okay to center your values and principles and not your financial planning in a material sense and make your choices that way. Like it's okay to live this way. Finally, I talked again to Nakia Campbell, who I had interviewed with her son, Uzziah. And in the episode we ran, they talked about Uzziah's company, Calm and Cure Candle Co. Nakia was very conscious of wanting her son to be the one in the spotlight, you know, because it's his company. But we decided to interview her as well and weave her into the show because I found her presence really rounded out the interview. And the whole story was very much also about her journey and overcoming some trauma she had experienced. And she was able to add this layer of self-reflection that we loved. She's in a good place, and it was great to hear how she's doing. I wanted to ask about you. I remember when I asked you, what does enough look like to you? You Mm -hmm. were saying something about having your own place, having a car that's paid off. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if anything has shifted in your situation and if your definition of enough has changed at all? You know what? Now I feel like you've been watching me. That is so funny (laughs) because this place that I'm sitting in right now is is my three-story townhome, 2,252 square feet that I bought in March. Oh my gosh. I, I bought this... March 31st. Congrats. After, yeah, after the show. So look at me manifesting. You better go ahead, girl. So, yeah, I'm sitting in that place in Houston, Texas. You know, I live in Dallas. You live in Dallas. Are you, but are you still living with your parents? Yes, I do. But you bought a place in Houston. Yes. So why don't you live at your place in Houston? I'm using it as an Airbnb when I'm not here. I travel a whole lot, so I haven't moved all of my things here yet. Is it because Uzziah's in school still in Dallas, or yes, yes, and he has has four years to go. Oh, so you're not gonna move, move to Houston yet? 
I'm here in Houston more than I'm anywhere. Like since March, (laughs) I've been here in Houston more than I'm anywhere because the whole summer just passed. So Uzziah was like, peace out. He went on vacation to Seattle, Washington for like a whole whole month. Yeah. To visit his friends. Uh Whoa. (laughs) Look, I don't know. I don't know what your show did to us. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So... Can you say how you purchased it? Like down payment? What did that look like? Are you comfortable sharing any of that? The down payment and the closing cost together was about 52 grand. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how did you come up with that? Was that savings from like a long time or from your businesses? That has been money that has just been sitting in the bank because I sold a house in Seattle, Washington when Uzziah and I lived there. Okay. And then I moved home. And when I sold that house, I had that money sitting there. I see. I felt like I'm going to buy a house in Texas. But I got here and the housing market was crazy. I wanted a place that was over 2,000 square feet with three bedrooms in it. And I specifically wanted it in Third Ward, Houston, Texas, right by Texas Southern University, which is a historically black college and university. Um, that is where I graduated from in December of 2010. Go Tigers. Nice. Um, I saw the area around here being gentrified. I lived here for a while. Uzziah was born here um, in Third Ward, Houston, Texas. And so I just have so many ties to this area um, that when, you know, I graduated, moved on, started working in corporate America. And by the time I finally came back, everything was so different. Mm-hmm. I was like, what happened? And I saw this place right here and I fell in love with it and I really wasn't willing to not fight for it. So I stayed in a fight for a little while and I got it. How much did your house cost? Three fifty. Nice. Right, because the price was a listed for a lot more than that. Oh, you got it for under listing? <laughs> yes. Wow, yes. what was it listed for? <laughs> 415. Wow. How did you do that? Did you write a letter or like? No, I was praying on it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm serious. <laughs> That's amazing. I was praying on it. When you do rent it out, have you rented it out? Yes, it's been rented out. Um, How much are you able to rent it for? Airbnb, the highest price I've seen Airbnb listed for was like 305 a night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Airbnb has this thing where they set the price, Mm -hmm. like they fluctuated up and down or Mm -hmm. something like that. And they do it based on how other homes in the area Mm -hmm. are being rented out. So if my place isn't getting rented out and they see a trend in the other ones that are, they may drop my price Mm -hmm. or something like that for me. So can you say how much money you're making in like a year? Me personally, about seventy four thousand. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm. I'm trying to remember the exact number that was on my taxes. So let's do seventy four k. Wait, yeah. So you have a TV show now? Yes. So there's a network on stage plus television network who gave me a TV certification, like a partnership. And so it's going to be on digital TV, like Roku, Apple TV. Oh, nice. For like the mental motivator stuff or what kind of content? Yes. 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 The the show is called The Mental Motivator. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, hey. Other people's pockets. Like all that happened. Yeah. All those are We'll take all the credit. No, just kidding. Yeah. No, it's been good. It's been good. We, We had some good karma come our way. So it's been pretty good. And now we're going to get ready for fall and Christmas and Oh, candle season. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the big area for comic or candle co because the summertime people are already like, look, we don't need any more fires. (laughs) (laughs) So now do you feel like you have enough? I feel like I am enough. Yeah. I think having enough is second to that. So yeah, yeah, I guess I feel like I have enough. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Other People's Pockets. If you like the show, please tell a friend and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Word of mouth and reviews really help us out. Other People's Pockets is written and hosted by me, Maya Lau. It's produced by me along with Joy Sanford and Dan Gallucci. 
production help from Angela Vang. Our executive producers are me, along with Jane Marie and Dan Gallucci. Other People's Pockets is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this show, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus, offering bonus content and ad-free listening across our network for $6.99 a month. Look for the Pushkin Plus channel on Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. You can sign up for Pushkin newsletters at pushkin.fm. Find me on Twitter at Maya Lau or on Instagram and TikTok at It's Maya Money. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.